Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 47, and this week I spoke to Jewel Christine of North Knits. Jewel is a knitter, a designer, and founder of Our Maker Life. We talk about Jewel's family history, her grandmother's amazing crochet legacy, and how that's informed her own work. She is super ambitious and strong-willed, she always has been, and has always had a lot of clarity around what she wants in life. Studying journalism, Jewel found the strong voice that she has today, and uses that skill set to inform her work through her social media and maker meetups with Our Maker Life. We talk about the place that spirituality and faith have in her knitting and how she's used knitting to quiet her mind and ease her through transitions of difficulty and sometimes depression. Jewel speaks so candidly and openly about her own journey and her experiences, and that was part of what really drew me to her. I love the way that she sees the world through this lens of goodness, and it really shows in her work. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Jewel of North Knits. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Ani. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. I know it's like a lot to sort out. I make you record your end, and <laughs> there's a lot of internet things. I appreciate you um, bearing with me on that. Oh, no worries at all. We understand the technology struggle for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. There's a lot of times when this happens, I think about like, man, if I had all of the money in the world, I would have a beautiful podcast studio and I would fly my guests in and we would be able to record with these great microphones and everything would be super schmick. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So if someone is listening in the world who like wants to give me that, that would be really, really great. (laughs) And what's really funny is I live here in Chicago and I've lived in a couple of different places here in the city. Um, But where I currently live, um, in the north side, there is actually like this really cool like music recording studio like very close to my house and I walk by it all the time I would be like oh how cool would it be if I could just go and record some of you know cool podcast or something like that for North Knits or OML but then I'm like well actually I'll just do it at my house with my computer and my headset so (laughs) it's funny how like I'm like I'm literally walking past like this opportunity all the time and then sometimes you just lazily choose easy technology in the comfort of your own home. (laughs) Right. And I think maybe we're kind of a generation of scrappers. You know, we kind of just have to figure out how to do it. And we're very DIY. (laughs) We're very DIY. (laughs) Yeah. So you're living in Chicago. Yes. Is that where you're from? No. um, So I'm originally from South Carolina. I was born in Denver, Colorado. Um, but my sisters and I moved with my mom to South Carolina when I was five. So pretty much, uh, raised there. I went to university there, um, at the University of South Carolina. I, um, spent my childhood up until high school in a very, very small town called Blackville in South Carolina. So it was one of your two streets and one, (laughs) one, uh, traffic light sort of town and, uh, I'm not sure if it's still there, but I feel like they had the original Chick-fil-A there. It was called Big Chick. 
<laughs> Chick, and it was uh do they have chick-fil-a's in australia that may be a silly question but i don't know if no <laughs> i don't think they do but i'm back in america too so yeah oh okay okay your skype was showing australia so i wasn't sure <laughs> oh yeah well, i should update that <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you know all the chick-fil-a's here in the country and uh, i can remember as a little girl going to big chick and it was like this really cool walk up um, sort of place. It looked like a, a tiny little shack and they just had the best chicken sandwiches ever. So I always um, wonder if Chick-fil-A kind of snubbed the idea. I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to have to like Wikipedia this later and find out and <laughs> add it to the show notes for the listeners. Exactly. So if you ever find yourself in a really, really small town um, in the low country in South Carolina in Blackville, then if it's still there, uh, check out Big Chick because they're amazing. <laughs> um, so awesome. But I moved to Columbia and went to the University of South Carolina and studied journalism there for four years and graduated and then stayed in the city uh, a few more years um, and tried to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to pursue my love of mass comm and it led me here to Chicago um, right. and I met my now fiance in graduate school here. He was here studying violin and I was studying more journalism <laughs> and knitting a lot because it's a lot colder here. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I got to Chicago. I kind of just packed up my car and drove the 800 miles here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I want to ask more about present day, but I want to ask you about kind of your childhood. And if you remember, if you have like an earliest memory of, of working with knitting or textiles? Did someone teach you to knit back then? No, um, I'm all self-taught. So I taught myself how to knit in college, actually. But as a little girl, one memory that I do have connected with the maker life is my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. Um, she is a beautiful crocheter. She doesn't knit, but she crochets. And so um, as a little girl, my grandmother, I would say at least two to three times a year would send these amazing, beautiful chevron um, Afghan blankets uh, to my sisters and I, my mom. And I mean, they would just be the thickest, most beautiful blankets I ever have ever seen. I to this day I can't make chevron. I think it's just because I'm holding a piece of my grandmother <laughs> um, with me. And I could tell like now that I sort of know yarns that she was probably using like, you know, baby Bernat or something like that, like a very like sort of cottony based yarn. And I can mm -hmm. remember my grandmother would be like, you know, I'm I'm so sorry it took me so long to get you your blanket because she would sort of get them for us on spe special occasions. So when I graduated high school, she got she made me one in my high school colors. And then when I graduated from university, she made me one in my university colors. And when mm -hmm. I got my first job, like she was like, well, what colors do they have there? <laughs> I'll make you one for your like a first job blanket. And um, it was always in Chevron. That was always the pattern she used. And she would be like, oh, I'm so sorry I took so long, you know, to make make your blanket and get it to you and I was like oh well grandma how long did it take she was like mm, two or three days and I'm like what <laughs> you made this 80 by 80 chevron crochet blanket in two days and you think it took a long time like oh my gosh um so I can remember once she said you know when I this is when I was in high school that she would love if I learned how to crochet and I and you know um my this is showing my age when people actually kind of still wrote letters <laughs> a little bit and um 
you know, my grandmother wrote me this long letter and she has this beautiful cursive writing and I couldn't understand her handwriting. My mom was like, yeah, she's saying that, you know, she can send you a pattern to make the blankets she makes. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, so yeah, Mm -hmm. write your grandmother back and tell her that you'd like to see that. And then I did. And then she sent me, it was like at least 10 pages of legal notepad paper with a crochet pattern written out and I can remember Whoa. being like mortified I was like what have I done what have I committed to I don't know I don't even know where I just can remember it feeling like such a foreign language and it was quite beautiful but it also looked like you know just kind of hieroglyphics like to me I just yeah. you know had no uh connection to patterns or anything like that so it's it's always a very fond memory that I always joke about with my grandmother now that I'm like, no, I know Chevron grandma and I know how to do crochet and stuff like that. Mm, so yeah, sort of one of my earliest uh, childhoods before I really got into the craft of knitting in college. Yeah. So when you were in college, can you tell me about how you kind of found your way to knitting? Uh, yeah, it was qu- quite random, but I think a little bit of a calling. Um, so I'm a Virgo, you're sort of classic overachiever. Um, my mom always sort of teases me and she's like, yeah, you've always been my middle child baby and very sensitive and cry at the drop of a dime over anything. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Also a sensitive middle middle child. child. (laughs) So I've always been sort of very, um, you know, an extroverted personality, but always very in my thoughts and overanalyzing everything all the time. So um, in college, I was your RA. I was um, head of the residence hall board because you had to get accepted into the university, but then you had to apply separately to our um, dorm, which is what it was called a residential college because it was connected to acclimating to the social university life, um, but with a little bit of assistance. Instead of just putting you in a regular dorm, um, Preston Hall was more about having social activities there within the dorm to kind of help you acclimate um, within a a small part of campus. (laughs) And uh, I grew up in a very strict religion, and so I thought that that would be a good place for me to start so that I wasn't completely out in the shark waters of college. (laughs) So um, I applied to the residence hall and got in and then became the director of the uh, admissions committee there. And I was just doing a lot, (laughs) you know, um, in my residence hall and also maintaining a 4.0 GPA on scholarship and was in a relationship and just, you know, just your classic first, second year student doing a lot, and it started to get the best of me. I kind of fell into um, a bit of a depression. I just, I felt like my life just sort of changed so much, and it was kind of just hard to, you know, be out on my own, and um, I think I might have been a little homesick, even though I was just down the street (laughs) from my mom and my sisters, Um, but I just, I can remember falling into a depression, and it seemed harder than normal to be able it seemed more than just the blues I was very anxious um and I can remember that um one of my fellow RAs brought it to my attention that I had not really been interacting with the residents as much as before and that I you know I just kind of been going through the motions of going to class and then going back to my room and he's like I can hear you crying and you know you just seem really down and it's been kind of going on you know the other RAs and I've noticed it's been going on for you know a couple of weeks couple of months and 
uh, he's like, so, you know, I just want to encourage you. My mom is coming to the dorm tonight <laughs> and she's leading like something called a knit night. I don't know what it is, but I think it would kind of be cool. Maybe you should go check it out. And I was like, well, why would you ask me? I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. And he's like, I don't know. It could just be something fun to get out and meet other people and interact with the residents. And I did. And his mom, she had a knit night where it was about maybe an hour long. And um, she just sort of taught us how to cast on. So that was yeah. that was the knit night. We actually didn't learn how to knit, but she just showed us how to actually cast the needle onto the yarn. And so I can remember just completely falling in love with that experience. It was the first time in months of being on campus and just doing a lot, uh, you know, doing that for two or three years straight. You know, I think it was around my sophomore or junior year um, when I went to the knit night. And for the first time in a long time, I was like, wow, I feel at peace. I feel like Mm -hmm. I can think, like I can hear myself think. And I just immediately fell in love with it. It felt very nice to be able to do something with my hands. And I was just, you know, just happy. (laughs) In the simplest of terms, I was just very happy. And it seemed like that hour kind of flew by. And I was like, wow, there's something really magical about this. Um, And I can remember asking his mom, like, well, what's what's next with this? And she was like, well, that's it. (laughs) She's luck. Um. So I can remember the next, the very next day I spent what little bit of money I did have and I went to Joanne's and I bought all of this yarn that I could find that was on sale. And it was like, it wasn't, um, trying to think of the material. It was kind of like Oscar the Grouch material. (laughs) Like it wasn't like a two ply or anything. It was kind of like this very furry kind of. Um, and it was green and, and then I just went home and I watched YouTube videos and I actually taught myself how to knit something. And then I just made like a dozen scarves and I would just give them to my sisters. I have three sisters and a brother and I would make them for my sisters and my mom. And then if I would go to the hair salon and this is mind you in like 120 degrees, South Carolina, (laughs) where no one has any need for a scarf at all. And I'd be just sitting there knitting and they'd be like, Oh, what are you doing? I'm like, I just making a scarf. You can have one. You can have one. And I would just, if I didn't see my mom wearing my scarves, I'd be like, mom, I don't, I haven't seen you wear your scarf in a while. I made that for you. And she's like, well, it's kind of summertime, but okay, maybe I can wear it in the <laughs> office. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got into it. And um, I eventually just started to find time every day to knit um, while I was in college. And I just sort of felt this press on my heart to play worship music when I was knitting and to pray and just kind of have a conversation with God and talk about things that were on my heart and that were bothering me. And it just sort of became my quiet time where I could still an hour away from like the really busy, hectic lives that we have as college students um, to just be in my own space and, you know, just feel have a small moment of comfort. And it really, I think, definitely got me across the stage (laughs) Mm. Um, in college. And so when I moved here to Chicago a few years later, uh, it made a lot of sense to keep knitting because it was a lot colder here. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't, um, for some reason, I just connected my joy and my peace with knitting 
And so I said, well, I don't want to make the same mistake of somehow falling into a depression. I'm not as close to my family. I'm a lot farther. I'm here by myself. And mm-hmm. so I picked knitting back up once I got into grad school and sort of the rest is a little bit of history. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So how long ago was it that you moved to Chicago? Oh, man, it seems like it's um, flown by, but I actually moved to Chicago at the end of 2011. Okay. Yes. Nice. So yeah. I've been here for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good amount of time to be in a place. Yeah, it seems like I just moved here yesterday, but no, it's like the years fly by. So I did three years at university here downtown at Ro- Roosevelt University, which is an incredible, amazing justice, uh, social justice school. So it, it reminded me a lot of sort of the experience I had in my residence hall in South Carolina, but it was a city college, like you're literally right here downtown and missed all the hustle and bustle. And um, Mm. they have social justice issues that they pursue. And it's just a really awesome school. So I studied print journalism with a focus on politics um, Mm. in grad school and was editor in chief on my newspaper committee and uh, became a grad hall coordinator, which is, you know, the next level up from an RA. And again, just had a lot going on and got into a relationship. And I just, I was determined to not let myself get over anxious um, or depressed, uh, which can kind of naturally come with being here in the city, sort of get the city blues literally or the winter blues. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that I avoided that. And so I started knitting and my fiance fiance he's my boyfriend at the time he um was like you know you're always doing that knitting and looking at Etsy shops and talking about how other people are doing things on Etsy and Instagram maybe maybe you should start an Etsy shop (laughs) um because I was like oh you know it would be amazing if I could just make blankets and scarves and just hand them out to all the homeless people on the street here in Chicago because it's quite different um, than anything I had ever seen in South Carolina. And so I wanted to do something for people here, especially especially when it gets cold. Um, yeah. it's, it's just absolutely heartbreaking to see. And um, they sort of have rules in place where you can't just hand things out on the street. You kind of have to do it in a nonprofit format or something like that. So, um, yeah. you know, Omar was like, maybe you should start a shop, one of those Etsy shops, and you can give a portion of the sales to mm-hmm. to a, a you know a homeless um, nonprofit or a shelter or something like that. Uh, so I was like, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so um, I didn't formally start my shop until I finished grad school. I just kind of felt a calling of I should wait and I mm-hmm. should continue to only do it in my quiet time for me. And I really couldn't understand why, but kind of looking back now, I see why, because it's so connected to what North Knits is. Um, Mm. And I feel like it sort of prepared me for a very public platform, um, both from North Knits and OML in a very private setting. And I think it took years of planting those seeds and developing to really be prepared for all the things that I sort of take on (laughs) on these platforms. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that makes such a it's such a good point because I think we have a lot of examples of people who are years and years into doing something and we, but we look at it from the like, we're just beginning and we want to be there, but how do you get from here to there? And what does that look like? And the, you know, the fact that like the journey really starts back before 2011, but the shop didn't start until, you know, 2011 or later and kind of how did that develop? And kind of, I think also it's something that's interesting is the, 
doing it for yourself first. Mm-hmm. Like that, there seems to be this level of like, maybe it's a little bit frowned upon to do it for yourself because it's seen as like selfish in some way. But yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are more around around that kind of time that you have with yourself and your thoughts and your kind of spiritual connection. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I, I think um, for me, it was something that I tried to avoid in many ways <laughs> for many different reasons and over the course of my life. But I can remember being 10 years old in Blackville and I just um, my father was not really a great part of my life. So he was sort of in and out of my life. And again, I grew up in a very spiritual setting. My mom did a great job of keeping us, you know, <laughs> in Bible study three three times during the week and twice on Sunday. And I can just remember this this larger than life um, feeling of, you know, I will be your father and I will guide you, but you have to remain close to me and you have to stay focused on um, things that I'm telling you to do and assignments that I'm giving you and not to be distracted by things of the world. And, you know, I can remember sensing that and understanding that Mm -hmm. very naturally at a little girl. And I remember getting baptized at 12 and people even in my own religion, we're like, you're really young <laughs> um, to get baptized. And, you know, are you sure you're, you know, what you're getting into and you know what you're doing? And I'm like, yeah, like, I, I know exactly what this is. So um, I always felt that sort of sense and presence um, that I really couldn't attribute to my own thinking and mentality mentality. So even when, you know, I got into college and moved to big cities and, you know, sort of just wanted to live my own life a little bit separate from religion and spirituality, there was always just this this challenge, I guess, our charge or internal check where it was like, yeah, but you know where your source is, you know where your root is, and you have to stop running away from it because I would I would pursue things in my life, where it, whether it be money or jobs or relationships or friendships and all these different things that I wanted so bad. And they were never really interconnected with my own spiritual well-being. Um, and then it wouldn't it would never come to fruition. It wouldn't it never felt right or it would never work out. And then I would always feel this check. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, why? you know, why it didn't work out because it, it doesn't have a strong foundation and you're not you're not even strong enough technically there because, you know, if you, it's, it's almost like taking care of our bodies with healthy food. If all you feed yourself is just junk, 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 and it's all about, you know, your pursuits and what you can, you know, give to your own flesh, but you're not getting any, getting anything inside that's healthy and of true value, then, you know, it's, it's not really going to serve of any beneficial gain to you. So, um, for me, I know that's a, a sort of a long-winded way to say that I do think that people have to be okay with the fact of, you know, doing knitting just for you. <laughs> and it doesn't, you know, I'm very, um, I think I've been quite vocal on my maker journey that that doesn't necessarily, I mean, it, it, it's spiritual for me, but I know many makers, it's, you know, for Kelly, for instance, who's also um, on the OML team for her, it's going out and being in the woods and being around nature and just yeah. looking at trees and leaves. And for Nathan, it's, you know, going out and just having his camera. He's a big, you know, photography person and, you know, just going out and taking pictures of different things and finding his own element through visual. Um, and that's what his, 
his personal time as a maker looks like for him. And those things are in a way connected with their shops and their brands, but it's, it's a deeper source and center. And so when Mm. people, like you said, sometimes feel like, well, I want to be, you know, the big overnight maker, or I want the shop and the money and the sales and all that stuff. Like, I think the question that we always give back, well, well, what's your source there? You know, like, what is it that sort of grounds you and centers you? And um, it has to be more than just a business plan vision, (laughs) or, you know, a tagline or something. But like, where's your where's your source it sort of has to start there and you and you can't really run from that because if you do you're sort of cutting yourselves uh cutting yourself off at the knees of probably getting what you want on the the end game anyways yeah right and then it is just like such a personal experience it's so specific to the individual who's has the connection with making whatever that is whether it is coming from a a faith-based place or a place of just faith in other other things in the world so that's yeah I I want to hear more about um our maker life and like how that all came to be and where you're at with it yeah well um so I started my shop in North Knits in 2014 and um Omar and I kind of mulled over the name a little bit. I was like, well, what am I going to call it? Like Jules Knits or <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jewel yeah. Jams while knitting? <laughs> I don't know what to call it. And... Mean, I'm here for that too. That's <laughs> Yeah. And he, and then I said, well, maybe I always just sort of had this little knack in writing. I would write poetry or, you know, uh, I was really good in headline writing and, and the newspaper staff. And sometimes I would just tie things with acronyms and, um, they would always, you know, fare really well for like a newspaper headline or something like that. So I said, well, maybe I'll put an acronym to my knitting shop and have it connected to to God. And so North, it was just a natural fit. And it was needing, obeying, rejoicing and thanking him. And it mm. was literally a reflection of my life as a maker and my knitting time. And um, so I said, what about North Knits? Maybe that's kind of cheesy. And Omar was like, that's it. <laughs> That's what you got to call it. And I was like, nah, it's way too cheesy. People will confuse it with North Face. And he's like, oh, I don't think so. And I was like, nah, I'm definitely going to call it like Jewel Jams. <laughs> <laughs> and I told my sister, I was like, yeah, I, I thought of this shop called Jewel Jams. And she was like, well, do you have any other alternatives? And I was like, uh, yeah, North Nids, but stupid. She's like, no, that's it. So yeah. once my sister gave me the, the green light to, um, I launched my Etsy shop and, uh, you know, I, I got a few sales and people at my job, once I started working, um, after grad school, they would see, you know, see my knits and ask if they could buy it and things like that. So, um, I just kind of wanted to boost my online business and presence and was sort of thinking about that end of the maker life when for so long, I never had, I never ever thought about selling anything, Mm -hmm. um, and when I got on Instagram, I created my Etsy shop first, and then I started my Instagram page. And I was just so surprised and excited and dumbfounded by all of the makers <laughs> that were online. And it wasn't maybe as explosive as it, you know, is today or even in the last few years. But I thought, like, wow, this is super cool. Like, I just, I never really interacted with knitters or makers. It had always been a very solo task for me. And um, I was just so excited uh, to see all the makers and what people were doing and find out, you know, like the bios behind their shop and stuff like that. And 
Um, the longer I was on there, maybe for about two years, um, because OML started in 2016, I had developed some friendships with Kelly and um, Kathleen of Country Pie Designs and other makers, you know, um, in, in the community. And I saw that, number one, we had never actually formally met each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and number two, I saw all of these shops where it was kind of like, people were just in their own lane. Like, it was like, yeah, I'm a knitter, but I don't really communicate with you. Like, don't slide in my DMs. Like, don't. Like, this is just about me and and sort of selling and my Mm. brand. And I just saw that there seemed to be a lack of a connection. Um, Mm. I I knew that there could potentially, you know, very well be other things that maybe what I was thinking that there wasn't in existence. But um, I, I didn't see a lot of just like, groups of of makers specifically in knitting and crochet and uh, again that little calling that little press in the back of my mind that I knew very familiar since I was a little girl it was like reach out to five people and ask them if they want to start a group and I was just I was coming back from the knitting shop actually it was freezing like super cold January (laughs) Chicago where I went to one of the yarn stores um here downtown and I bought some really expensive yarn and I remember I tried to pull it out and like knit on the bus home and it was so cold I couldn't even knit I was just like Mm -hmm. "Ah, my hands are freezing and so uh I'm thinking like okay I can't be starting like knitting groups or anything like I can barely even knit (laughs) like this in this sort of weather and I just couldn't shake I couldn't shake the feeling I tried to ignore it for a few days and I was just like this is going to be so random like I don't know a lot of people um, why would I ask people if they want to meet up? That's cheesy, corny, weird, <laughs> awkward, not going to do it. Um, but then, I, like I said, I just couldn't really shake the feeling. And so I did. And then those people contacted other people. And it was literally mm-hmm. just like, hey, what do you, I know you, I know of you, maybe you know of me. What do you think about meeting someplace, somewhere? <laughs> and we had yeah. pizza, knit. It's okay if you totally say no, I understand. It's awkward. And people just were like, yeah, yeah, I've been looking for something like this. Um, This is so cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I I don't know, I think by the end of the week, through like email correspondence and Facebook and Instagram, we had like 100 people who were Mm. like, yeah, like, when what are the details <laughs> whenever you guys like put it together whoever is behind it like let me know and so kind of the five of us came together and you know they were like yeah like I'll help you plan this like let's let's do this and that's sort of how um our maker life was born and we we thought of the name we wanted something that um wasn't too that didn't speak to one type of maker but not another and Mm -hmm. you know we we mulled over different names uh for a while and uh asked people who had initially shown interest where they would want to meet up and um always had it be on a voting system so from whenever we first started it's always been a vote and people voted new york city and then we all panicked because we were like wait none of us live in new york city like and New York City is also crazy expensive. This is so not going to work. <laughs> um, but we managed to have our first summer event in downtown Manhattan in Times Square um, in 2016. Mm. And um, I I can't remember now. I, I think we did have the Instagram page before we actually had our event, but it was not too much time. Like we launched in May and I think we may have started like our Instagram in like June and then the event was in July, so we were very new. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but it just got so much positive feedback and garnered mm. so much attention. Um, great companies and brands like We Are Knitters, who um, had kind of already been working with makers on an individual sort of collaboration basis, were like, yeah, we love this. Like, we love the idea of knitting parties. This is something that, you know, we kind of do with makers already. And like, we support you if you need like kits at your event, you want to knit along, like we can, we can support you and help bring this vision to life. Um, and so they did, they, they really, really helped us and we had great speakers and it was just like probably one of the most amazing days of my life. (laughs) And, um, it was just absolutely phenomenal. And I've kind of been in a bit of a shock ever since of like, wow, this is a thing. (laughs) Like since, since then we've grown to over 90,000, um, makers strong in our Instagram community and through our events. And it's been just completely incredible. That's yeah, that's so wild. And it's amazing how quickly it happens too. like, this is not long ago. This is a couple of years. Yeah, it wasn't long ago. And I can remember when I was first on the knitting bus, I, I kind of saw this is weird and scary to say, but I'm no longer really afraid to say it. But I kind of saw a vision of it. It was very weird. Um, like it was like, reach out to a couple people, I'll take care of the rest. Because I was like, I'm not, I'm not an event person. I'm a writer. Okay, I'm a journalist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is what I've been going to school for for eight years. Like, this is what I do. But I just sort of got this sense that um, this was my way of communicating to the yeah. masses in the world that this is what I had gone to school for in many ways, not to be mm-hmm. a reporter on Fox Five News, um, but to communicate with the masses in this way. And um, I feel like, you know, I kind of been prepared for it. I knew how to interact with people and being an RA um, every year that I, you know, studied academics in college and grad school. And it, it is, it was still like, reach out to a couple people, I'll take care of the rest. And I, um, just saw sort of this vision of hundreds of people in a room meeting up. Mm. And I can remember being like, just very terrified. (laughs) Just like, okay, this is a little weird. Um, I had, I, I, you know, I've never really got like vivid visions of anything in my life uh, very much before. And so that was kind of just a little scary. Mm. Um, but I can remember at the Toronto event, because we had only about maybe 50 makers or so at the New York event, we were not really sure how many people to invite or how that was going to work. If people were actually going to come, <laughs> we were like, yeah, you might have said you were going to come on email, but you may not really come. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to keep it a little bit smaller and we didn't want to you know, bite off more than we could chew. So um, after the first New York event, one of you know we had like feedback cards and said okay if we had another one what would you want to look like and they were like more people more people (laughs) for Mm -hmm. sure like more people and so we almost tripled in numbers for the uh Toronto event the following Mm -hmm. year and I can remember thinking sort of afraid that maybe we still bit off more than we could chew and that people may not come up or maybe only 40 people would come again or something like that and you know, we looked out the window and there was a line of like almost 200 people (laughs) at the Toronto event. And when everyone came in and was sitting down, it just seemed very similar to the vision that I had seen like years before of just hundreds of people in a room. And it was just, I almost had to keep myself, you know, from, from crying at the event because I I felt like I kind of saw a little bit of a foreshadow of that. And uh, Mm. yeah, it's just, it's just been really incredible, but um. I also feel like I've, in some ways, not had 
very heavy involvement with it because it's sort of a movement that is just grown on its own and through the support of the community and it's just <laughs> I feel like in some small weird way it was you know what our what our world what our community really needed and so it was just right place right timing <laughs> sort of thing yeah. Yeah, well, and I think too, like, you can't underestimate your involvement in that. Like, I know you probably feel like, oh, and a bunch of people did all this stuff, and I didn't really do much. But like, you know, to facilitate and organize something like that, like, I've never attempted anything close to that scale. But even just getting a few people together for a knit night, like, the amount <laughs> of work that you have to put into that, it's huge. It's such a huge deal. Yeah, that that is very true. And I think um, Kelly, Nathan, Kathleen, and um, Allison, we're, we're all sort of... Uh, humble and shy about it Uh, but yeah you know we always do kind of joke and we're like yeah you know it's it's all it's all shy and stuff until like event day and then we all go super beast mode and we're sort of beast mode even leading up (laughs) to the events we I think in our own ways are our own perfectionists and we really um the goal has always been you know to just really provide an atmosphere where people can have a great time you know I think we Mm. all sort of came to OML for our own reasons um and in our own ways. But I think one commonality that we've all had is just like, yeah, I, I kind of need this. Like so much yeah. is happening in the world and in life. Like I need a great day. Like I need a win and a cool city and to be able to travel and have fun. And so um, we are, we're very focused. We're like laser focused and we're very hard um, to make sure that, that we provide that. Like we, we don't accept anything less than the best among ourselves and uh, with the events that we put on. So it's very um, relieving and it's very humbling to know that they are well received because yes, we, you know, we do put a lot of, a lot of work into the events. They take probably, you know, a solid nine to 10 months uh, to, to really plan, you know, from year to year. So they do take a lot, but it is, always so worth it we're like man we go really hard for like 10 months for one day but it's kind of like your wedding you're just living it over and over again (laughs) and it's um they're always so different they always have a different vibe in a a little bit because of the city we think that we hold them in um and but you know there's always just some sense of where you walk away so much stronger and better and happier and refreshed going from the mm. summer into the start of the maker season um and th- you know they're just so much fun you walk away with all these awesome friendships and knowledge and networking and yeah they're they're really amazing so it it's always a great payoff for the team and I because we we really do put blood sweat and tears into it <laughs> for, for sure. sure for sure <laughs> and you have one coming up in July right yes um our fourth event will be in Calgary um so it'll be my first time in, in the Calgary uh, Banff area, and I'm super Same. excited about it. Um, we have an awesome venue location where it's going to be held at right downtown and a lot of history behind the building. And uh, yeah, we're, we're super excited. We have some amazing keynote speakers, um, Chantel of Knititude, who is a Calgary local. So oh, cool. uh, we know she's just going to like bring the fire <laughs> um, to yeah. her her presentation and the, the information and knowledge and wisdom that she's going to share with makers. Uh, she already does it quite phenomenally um, on Instagram. So to, I, and I actually had a chance to meet her at the Toronto event and she's just such a beautiful person. And um, 
a really great, passionate maker. So to be able to have her at the Calgary event this year speaking, and we're super excited. And um, our other keynote speaker is Stephanie of All About Ami. And okay. um, she's she's kind of one of the OGs in the community <laughs> awesome. of, um, you know, uh, her maker blog is very successful. And she's a big encourager and advocate of teaching people to not be afraid to try um, to just simply try knitting and crochet. Mm. And she shares beautiful patterns from wearable garments to um Amagrimi, and uh, then she also sort of weaves in her amazing life as a mom and wife and baking and traveling and, um, you know, her two babies and she'll make things for them or her little girls. Uh, and it's just really exciting to watch and see how Stephanie inspires people um, through her blog and through her social media platform. And I know that she's connected with quite a few makers through knit nights and things like that. So to be able to have her at the OML event, it's going to be quite phenomenal to to hear the value and knowledge that she's going to bring. Yeah, that's super exciting. That's something to really look forward to because we're kind of coming up on it huh we're like middle of march now yeah it's coming sooner than i think any of us are ready for (laughs) it's it's happening very quickly and they they always do um but they're always super fun and they go by really fast and then you're like oh wait no it's over (laughs) yeah and then you're having the the kind of event hangover or the wind down for the next several days? Yeah, yeah. we usually try to wind down. At least we, we try to force ourselves at least two weeks of rest. We, it usually doesn't happen that way because we're either doing something else like the make book or starting to plan for next year's event or something like yeah. that. Um, but we try to, like you said, give ourselves a little bit of a wind down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't even feel really like we're going into a fourth annual event. But um They've seen so fun and exciting and thrilling in their own ways. They don't seem like, you know, going through emotion at all. So we're, we're super excited to see how, how Calgary is going to be. It's already, um, you know, just so exciting with the, the support and feedback we've gotten um, online. Mm-hmm. I think we sold out in about 10 minutes for yeah. our attendee registration. That's awesome. So. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, just making history Calgary style over here. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll probably sell, I don't know, maybe like a week, two weeks. Don't worry about it. And then it was like 10 minutes later, we were like, oh, my God. Because <laughs> the waiting list stop. So, yeah, it's it's been super exciting to to see. And just to, to be a part of the movement has been amazing. Yeah. So how do you manage all of this? You've got North Knits. You've got OML. You're you're in your office at your your day job, right? Is this, yes, tell me more yes. about all this. How do you manage it all? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really hard thing. I think I've spent a large part of my life being an overachiever and being very anxious about it. And mm-hmm. that in some ways it sort of led to procrastination and overanalyzing. And, you know, I always just, I've always felt that I've been called to do big things um, or to do a lot of things on a big vision scale. I just, that's just been me. You know, some people are born to cook. <laughs> I'm born to like knit and lead. Um, so it's always kind of, you know, been in my blood a little bit, but I resisted it for a long time because I would just get super overwhelmed and anxious and then kind of like not do it because I was uh, procrastinating. Um, but you know, I'm really at this point in my life where it's like, 
I'm very thankful for all the things that I have to do. So um, yes, it's tiring and it's exhausting. And, you know, there are moments where I like burn out and my you know family and friends are in team are like, you need to take a vacation, like take mm. a chill pill. Mm. <laughs> You're doing a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm very grounded within myself of knowing that, you know, it's I don't take it lightly, the responsibilities that I have. And I think a lot of times uh, we can as makers and just people in general, we can put a lot on our plate and then sort of let the responsibility feel like more of a weight. Um, mm. But I, I, it's a responsibility for me that I don't take lightly. Um, and I also have a good grounding. You know, my, my fiance has just been absolutely incredible from day one of keeping me focused of like, you know, you do these things because you love them, because you have fun with them. It's not anything that's a burden to you. So if you feel burdened, then, you know, you should recharge, take, take a second back. Let's go to the mountains or, you know, um, you know, go out to a lake. I went to a lake, um, in Toronto, uh, last uh, September for my birthday with the OML team and all of our significant others were there. And we just spent four days out on the lake, just in the quiet and the beautiful Canadian scenery. And it was amazing. So um, I just have a really great team behind me, um, good family grounding. And I'm literally happy, you know, most mornings when I wake up, because I'm like, wow, like, I feel like I've worked a long part of my life to get to this moment. So I, I try not to take it lightly. Um, but you know, I do this is a question I get asked a lot, and I do feel like I've learned by talking with other amazing leaders like Chantel of Nititude, like Stephanie of All About Ami, and Teresa de Brose, and Tony of TL Yarncrafts, and all of these other, and, and Kelly of Knitbrooks, and <laughs> Allison, and Nathan, and I could just go on and on and on of all these other amazing makers that make it look so easy and talking to them like, Hey, how are you doing it over there? Cause you're killing it. (laughs) And, um, I can remember when we spoke with Teresa on one of our OML podcasts, we asked her this question and she said, you know, honestly, I've learned how to say no, you know, I've, I've learned how to realize that I'm not superwoman (laughs) in many ways. Um, I'm not going to be able to go above and beyond every single day. And so, even though there are tons of amazing opportunities that may come into my lap, I can only do so much. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to segment, you know, instead of trying to do 10 things where none of them are working out productively, I've trimmed that down to three things or two things. And I work at those things really hard and really well. And when the other opportunities do come up while they're great, I've learned to say no to some of those things. I maybe not right now. Um, And, you know, I can remember Teresa also said, I've learned how to, to stop my day, <laughs> um, which is a big thing that I still sometimes struggle with. I work from morning to night and I just want to go, go, go all the time. But, you know, sometimes as makers, whether we're doing it full time or in conjunction with other with other jobs, um, I, I love how my team at the architectural firm I work for, they said, I, you know, sometimes they'll say, I, I'm going to have a hard stop at six. I'm mm. having a hard stop. <laughs> and yeah. when I stop, I stop and I'm going to go out and enjoy pizza and hang out with my family or my friends. And um, that's probably been the most challenging for me to to learn how to stop mm. um, and just enjoy the world around me. Um, but I've, I've gotten to, a, I would like to think <laughs> that I'm in a good place where I've learned how to do that. So I take weekends for myself. Um, 
I know you and I were talking a little bit about earlier of this idea of selfish knitting, and I know that people have various opinions with selfish knitting, but whether you call it selfish knitting or whether you're just taking time out for yourself, um, I've learned to be okay to do that, to yeah. realize, you know, that that's a part of, of mental health. That's a part of being productive and being responsible, and it takes realizing that whether you take some time with yourself to realize that or whether you talk to some other people who give you that advice that Mm -hmm. um a lot of times we're giving we're giving we're giving we're trying to you know produce and create and develop and form all these things we're never taking time to recharge back into ourselves or to just stop (laughs) you know I've learned through my fiance like sometimes he's like I'm just sitting here just sitting (laughs) you know just Looking at, you know, looking at the trees, enjoying the beautiful day and thinking and just sort of meditating. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't you don't always have to be doing something to be productive and to be um, feeding your soul and your well-being and your mental and your emotional. And sometimes we check out away from those things. Um, So it's it's one of the ways that, you know, I've been, I think, (laughs) very productive and have been able to kind of keep uh some some joy and sanity and (laughs) yeah um to to not burn out with all the things that I have going on and I know that many of us as makers have going on right right yeah we're all wearing a lot of hats we're all wearing a lot of hats and sometimes I think uh you know, and this is something that I definitely know I've been guilty of in different industries. Um, you know, it was something that I struggled with in the blogging industry. I would see all of these bloggers and it's like, how in the world do you have 250,000 followers? Like, mm-hmm. you're making it look so easy. And I'm over here, like, working day and night. <laughs> and I have, like, right. you know, 3,000 followers. You know, you just have to give yourself a little bit of um freedom and acknowledgement that it's okay to enjoy the lane that you're in right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not healthy all the time to be comparing yourself to your level in life to where someone else is. Like I I had to realize that I needed to check myself with that. And I think that in the moment that I did that, when I stopped looking at how my life looked compared to the person next to me, that's when I really started to to thrive and grow because I was just fine with staying in my own lane. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. I still like to kind of self-check myself with that now of making sure I'm not looking at anyone who has a hundred thousand followers or a million followers and starting to feel inadequate. And I know a lot of makers struggle with that. I know as people, a lot of us struggle with that. And so, um, you know, when people are saying, how do you keep it together and how do you remain productive? You know, those are some of the things that I'd like to, you know, give people something to to think about and mull over, because um, a lot of that goes into um, where you are in your in your right. life. Right, and like it would be so easy to look at your internet presence and be like, "Oh man, what's she doing? Like, she looks like she got this overnight." And you're like, "No, no, I started this in like 2011, and it was because I was like not feeling amazing." You know, like yeah. kind of mm-hmm. when you draw back the curtain, and that's something I really appreciate when I read your Instagram posts and stuff about just like. It's a beautiful picture and it could just be this like beautiful little caption about like how beautiful the yarn is that you're working with, but it's like really very honest and true to who you are, which I think is, it's like, 
you know, the more we talk about this and that you tell me about your journalism background and your passion for writing and your passion for your faith, like it, it just comes across in it, but it could Mm -hmm. just be so like, I'm so great and everything is easy, but you just don't do that. And it's so refreshing (laughs) to to see, you know? Thank you. Yeah. I really, there was a time when I, when I first started my Instagram page, I did try that. (laughs) I did Mm -hmm. try that because that's what I saw other people doing. I felt this press to, to share whatever, um, insight or, scriptural, you know, profound word that I was getting in my own quiet time to share that. And I'm like, no, personal, not sharing that. I'm going to share how I love Cozy Yard. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and it didn't get yeah. a lot of reception. Yeah. Um, and again, I just always had these moments in my life where even if I'm not admitting to it outside, I know when I'm not being true to myself. Like mm-hmm. I know when I'm being fake with me. Um, yeah. So the moment that I stopped doing that and I was just like, okay, I'm going to keep it real. And like, just, you know, my, my whole vibe, my whole shop, it's always just been about me and sort of my prayerful thoughts and discussions and journals, you know, and yeah. I just, I got to stay true to that. And it, you know, it's become really successful. And I think people can feel that. And it's yeah. another reason of why it's always, um, I think, reminded me and kept me grounded of why OML is successful, because People mm. understand realness. We crave realness. We crave to meet together in real life. We crave that, you know, person to person interaction. And even on a screen, people can feel that. So, yeah. you know, a lot of times, yeah, people do emulate or want to emulate and, 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 you know, just kind of make a judgment call and like, okay, well, you obviously got to that level overnight. Like what hard work have you put in? It's like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. pause, you know, um, I, <laughs> I've, I put in a lot of hard work, but also, you know, if it's like, well, if that's your reason for starting something, people are going to very quickly realize that like our community yeah especially this year with a lot of important conversations around race and things like that. And we've, you know, totally. oftentimes had many important conversations in our community. Um, but it's because people very, you know, without a lot of coaching or fakeness or any of that, they understand realness. I feel like m- yeah. more of the successful, I put air quotes around that, um, makers in the community, they just give it to you straight, whatever that is to them. Like you can tell that they're being real. And Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of these makers at the OML events and it literally matches their online persona. And it's like, okay, that's so cool because you can sense that through a screen. Um, But it really starts with you. If you're not being true to yourself or if you're holding back because you're trying to duplicate what you see someone else doing as that being your measure, your measurement and your tool for success, you're cutting yourself off at the knees. Like, don't do it. And it's one of the reasons why we started OML because he said, we need a space where everybody can feel welcome, where if I'm sharing prayers and in a cozy space that I don't feel like I'm any less than, you know, someone who is out in the woods, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and making crochet hooks versus someone who's in, you know, the DC area, you know, taking photography or or Kathleen down in Texas, you know, living it up. You know, it's, it's so many different things that we bring to what it means to be a maker. And we need that space. We need that online and we need that offline to make people feel valued. And, you know, again, people wanted that and we sense it. So we tell people all the time, look, if you're trying to get whatever it is that you want, whether that be money, success, numbers, it needs to start with who you really are. Don't be afraid to showcase that 
you never know where it can take you. And if you are doing it and it's more of a copycat sort of thing, mm-hmm. people immediately notice. Like mm-hmm. when, when we've seen copycats and it's, you know, it's one of those things, it is what it is, we can tell immediately. It's like, not only do I know you're copying, but I know who you're copying. And right. it's, it's, it's unbecoming. It kind of makes you feel like a little, ooh, <laughs> you know, and yeah. um, it's always, again, something uh, we have these amazing open discussions at the OML event. And it's mm. one of the things that we always talk about, about being true and real and authentic in yourself and trusting in that. Even if you don't see, you know, amazing numbers overnight, every single person who is at 40 or 50,000 followers now, Jeff started with zero followers. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you have to be true to yourself. You can't continue to, you know, I always am just an advocate that that's a really hard way to live. It's a really, really hard way to live being bitter and angry and copying people and envious. It's, it's just a really hard way to live. And I've been that person who's tried to live that life for a long time and it didn't work for me. So <laughs> I was like, mm. I, I have to change gears here and let me try being Jewel and let's yeah. see how that works. Um, and it's, it's worked very well for me. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Um, I wanted to ask if there was anything else you wanted to share or anything that you're like really excited about that's coming up. I know you've got Our Maker Life, but I'm sure you have lots of other things going on because you have all sorts of cool things going on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh, you put me on the spot. Well, I mean, I will definitely have to say, you know, OML that's happening in July. um, It's probably my my first and foremost thing that I'm most excited about. Um, I do have um, an amazing collaboration that I've been working on with brand yarn um, for this really awesome seed stitch blanket uh, that's going to be released as a kit um, and I'll be offering the pattern for that and it's been a, a bit of a labor of love <laughs> over the last few weeks yeah. um, we're also um, so I'm, I'm definitely excited about that um, and just continuing to to connect and reach out to people through North Knits. I don't always do it from the the seller's cap per se, but I always just love mm. being able to connect and kind of be my most real and authentic self um, through North Knits. And then um, another subset that of OML that we always like to do, it's really me and Kelly's baby. I would say we hone it most on the OML team is to make books. Um, okay, yeah. So we're, we're always working and we just finished up our submissions um a few months ago of of reaching out to the community this we're walking into our third book and um this was the first time that we kind of did a full open submission call like if you want to be a part of the make book like give us your 30 second pitch so um we're we're slowly but surely around everything else that we're trying to do uh um working um uh, on the make book and that is always so super exciting because it gives us um, another intimate, authentic space to sh- share maker stories and patterns and feature people uh, from a visual lifestyle aspect as well. As well, and they've always been really fun. So, um, if if you guys hadn't checked out the first two volumes that we've done, they're on Amazon and through our website, um, and those are always amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll definitely give a plug for the Makebook because they feature some really awesome people in the community, and I'm really excited um, about continuing to work on that project as well. That's so great. Yeah, I'll link to those ones in the show notes as well. Oh, awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to just share my story. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I took so it all good. the way back, but I really, really do appreciate it. And I, I, I have to give a special shout out to my team, um, the OML leadership team and our co-founding team for just being an amazing support system um, with everything that we do. And of course, the community itself, OML, our, our sort of movement tagline has been for makers by makers. So we, we certainly would not be what we are without the community. And so I'm forever grateful to each and every one of you that always show up, come out to our events, support online. It's been just, I'm almost at a loss for words if that can be a thing. <laughs> so um, yeah. thank you to everyone who is consistently and constantly supporting our maker life. Thanks, Jewel. Thank you.